Hey everyone, this is JR from the Don't Split Up podcast. This episode is on Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, and we promised no spoilers early on in the episode, but we realized about halfway through that we assumed you already knew the plot of Pride and Prejudice. So we spoil Pride and Prejudice, which sort of spoils Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, uh, but we do save any of the major spoilers for the plot of the film until a certain section later in the show. But if you want to know absolutely nothing, and you somehow made it to this episode without even knowing anything about Pride and Prejudice, then you should probably wait until after you've seen the movie, or at least read the book, until you watch the episode. Otherwise, enjoy, and have fun listening to us realize that we've sort of broken our spoiler promise about halfway through the episode. Yo, this place is big. We should split up Finding Will. Said no one who survived a horror movie ever. Because as you know, in every horror movie, the first rule of survival is never leave your friends. So don't split up if you want to make it to the end. No, don't. Don't split up. Welcome back to the Don't Split Up Horror Podcast. This is episode 19, and we are going to be talking about the new film Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which is in theaters right now. Uh, don't worry, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff before we get into spoilers, and we'll give you plenty of warning before we spoil anything in the movie. My name is J.R. Foresteros. I'm Amanda Foresteros. I'm still asleep. <laughs> and I'm Rosa Haiti. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to confuse everyone. (laughs) It is a little bit early, so if we all sound sound a little tired or pretend that we're other people, just because we were trying to get into the the feel of the zombie film. Uh, Uh, Because we're so bored bored to sleep. (laughs) As as zombie-like as possible. Oh, man. So, obviously, this is a zombie movie. That's why we're reviewing it on the podcast. But it's also a mashup with a Victorian classic, Pride and Prejudice. And I have to confess to you that I have never read Pride and Prejudice. I have not either. Let's put it out there. Yeah, I've focused predominantly on British literature when I was in school, and I have not read this. I'm in the process of reading. It's hard. It's It's a pretty hard read, and I have school books that need to be read and about a thousand other books it's, that are on my list it's okay stace we're not your teacher you don't have to you don't have to justify <laughs> yourself to us so wait stacy are you reading it for pleasure or are you reading it for school for pleasure okay well sort of for pleasure right you just really feel like you should read it yeah it doesn't sound that that's how i feel describe. about it like all of my friends say that i should well all of my friends that love pride and prejudice say that i should but I just haven't. I can't bring myself to it. It definitely started that way, but I actually really enjoy the story. Okay. And, and I like the movie, so that helps. So. Which movie? With Kira Knightley. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mo, how did you focus on English literature and avoid this this book? Um, I think most of it was predominantly like medieval, so I was more like Shakespearean oh, okay. and Chaucer, but I never really made it. I took some other courses that were, you know, like 19th century and 18th century, but I avoided Jane Austen entirely, to be honest. Hmm, that's, that's interesting. Strange and interesting, yeah. My roommate when I was in college, my senior year, uh, owned the VHSs of the BBC version that has Colin Firth in it as Mr. Darcy. And it's a 10-episode series, I believe, of the entire story, which I can't imagine. 10 hour? Yes, 10 episodes, 10 hours. I'm pretty sure. Uh, don't quote me on that, but it's it's very long. It's It's way longer 
than any movie that exists. And she would it's watch like an it. HBO series. Yeah. yeah, she would watch it weekly. I need to check that out. Weekly. No. Like she was obsessed with it. And she always tried to get me to sit down and watch it with her. And I just I didn't have that kind of time to devote to that, something I didn't care about. That is an interesting concept. Had HBO picked up Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies and mm-hmm. done like a season on it and done a little bit more of a slow introduction, mm-hmm. that might have been much more well received. Well, so the interesting thing though, you know, Pride and Prejudice, how long is this, Stacey? Several hundred pages. Mm-hmm. It's not a small book. Not uh, by any means. The the adaptation of, from Seth Graham Smith, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, is not nearly as long as the actual book. So when they were going for this film, you know, I think they had some choices. Uh, but, I, you know, I agree. I think they could have taken their time and maybe made a stronger film. But we'll get to that when we talk about the film. Uh, so from, from my understanding, and this is, you know, from being a person who loves, loves books and loves literature and, and likes to talk about them, but has not read Pride and Prejudice. What I have gleaned from the book is that in addition to being one of the great romances of literature between Elizabeth Bennett and Mr. Darcy, uh, it's really a pretty sharp critique of Victorian social class. Mm. Mm -hmm. In that you have Mr. Darcy, who's an aristocrat. Uh, He's from a very well-to-do family. And then Miss Bennett is from a more, yeah, kind of more what we would call like middle-class or country kind of, thing and so the interplay between the two of them and how their interactions you know cast light on the larger culture uh is why i think one of the reasons why the book has resonated so strongly you know it sort of transcends the love story though i think it's interesting to point out that in the history of literature and culture this is probably one of the first major works where marriage is positioned as something that should primarily be about love instead of being about social class and upward mobility because you know for most of human history you didn't marry for love yeah right well and it really had nothing to do with feelings right until that like they would develop later uh may if you if you were lucky right yeah i mean you married you married because kind of a crapshoot and and you see that you know in I'm I'm assuming that the that at least this part of the book is similar that that Ms. Bennett the mother like that's what she's concerned about right the daughters don't have any inheritance and so she wants to marry them to wealthy men and it, it has nothing to do with love for her and that's not something she's interested in and so the the girls by insisting especially Elizabeth by insisting that she wants to marry for love that's that seems to us to be like an obvious observation. And of course, like why else would you get married? But in, in their day, that was pretty revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Um, I can imagine her parents or, you know, the older generations looking at that as like a silly sort of selfish, girly indulgence. Um, and it's, it's just interesting that this book holds that place in like the cultural transition. It kind of is a signpost that shows us when this started to shift. And again, is more about more than romance. It's about society and culture and how those things uh, shape us. And it's about mm-hmm. critiquing those things, which which makes it surprisingly mash upable with zombie fiction because essentially that's what zombies do. Right. They take away the bare bones of society and 
we all realize we're kind of monsters without the like structures and stuff mm-hmm. of the government and everything else. The institutions. And- right. Yeah. Like when you take those away, what's left, what's, you know, are we just monsters? Yeah, right. Did, do you guys watch walking dead? Uh, no. Yeah. Wow, that sounds really begrudging. <laughs> Why do you answer it like that? Because this season has been so utterly disappointing. Uh, okay. This well, season? I, I'm That's not it? caught up on this season. but um, I mean, I'll give you, it goes back and forth, but like the beginning half of this season was the laziest, worst writing I've seen yet, which I think says something because they've had some bad writing before. I was going to say, I feel like that show, it's either bad or good there's really no in between either somebody loves it or the season's terrible i would say it's either bad or shocking to be shocking and people <laughs> interpret that as good yeah 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 I'm i mean we, we have several fan. friends that have just given up on it not even because of like the writing being bad but just how like horribly violent i mean obviously it's a zombie show so it's going to be violent but like the way that they treat human nature is so like the fact that I don't know, Rick is just the least redemptive character ever. And he's just a horrible, horrible human being. I like that part of the show that to me make gives it a, like a true reality. Not that he's a good person, but I think that's like the one redeeming quality of the show is like, he's finally got to that part where he's like, I'll do anything to survive. Even if it means compromising, like all the morals that I started out with. Like so you 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 agree fundamentally with the worldview of that show that humans are basically monsters. I think yeah, quite easily they reach that level. Like I don't even think you need zombies. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so that when I first heard about Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, I was as skeptical as probably most people. Like that sounds hilarious, but it's probably just a gimmick. Right, like it'll be funny, it'll be silly, but I don't think it'll be good. Uh, what about the rest of you? I had already seen Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer, so I was like convinced it was going to be equally terrible. Okay, so for those that don't know, the book *Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies* was written by the same guy who wrote the book *Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter*. Uh, so those, that's why those are connected. Um, and it's the same kind of a thing, right? You take vampires and put them back into uh, a place where we're pretty sure there weren't vampires, uh, which in this case know. was the Civil War, right? <laughs> seems um, unproven. <laughs> we were relatively certain. Um, yeah, so I, I, when I read, I went out, I went out and got me a copy of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies because people had begun to rave about it. And I was amazed at how seamlessly Now, again, I had not read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, but if you haven't read the book, it's hard to explain how organic the whole thing feels. It doesn't feel like a story with zombies stapled onto it. It really feels as though the zombies are an organic part of the plot, and the language is very much Austin. Like, he was somehow able to capture her voice, and part of that is because he used, uh, like, a ton of the original text. He did not rewrite the book. It's it's very much as though he sort of sliced open and inserted zombies into the plot. And again, I think it I think the fact that Pride and Prejudice is a sharp social critique is what let him do that. Uh, in an interview that he did with Time magazine, 
uh, the, the interviewer says, I was surprised at how easily the book meshed with the zombie genre. It made a weird kind of sense. And then Seth Graham Smith says, yeah, it was strange. It's almost as if Jane Austen was subconsciously setting this up for us. You have the sharp-tongued, fiercely independent heroine. It's not a huge leap to say that she's a sharp-daggered, fiercely independent heroine. And then you have Darcy on the other side, who's a pompous and privileged guy. And you say, all right, he's a pompous and privileged slayer. And that's how they battle it out with each other. But then you have all these little details everywhere, like the fact that there are soldiers in camp near Meryton in the original book for seemingly no reason whatsoever. I mean, there's just this huge regiment of soldiers. And the obvious thing to do, to do in this case is say, well, they're digging up graves and burning bodies and fighting the unmentionable menace. And that, that was one of, they didn't really do that in the movie. But one of my favorite things about the book was that zombies were called unmentionables because it was impolite to bring them up, you know, at, at dinner parties and stuff. That was cool. And it was just so weird and funny. When I like the, like how unpractical that, like that opening scene or whatever, when he shows up and he's playing cards and he takes care of the guy who's hiding the bite. And like, even though it's clear to everyone that this is a threat, I mean, they're already in this secret place that's walled in, you know, just to play cards. And yet the woman still doesn't mention his niece upstairs because, you know, how could she put her through that? <laughs> yeah. So Smith goes on to say, that's what was so funny to me about this idea. The fact that these people in Austin's book are kind of like zombies. They live in this bubble of extreme wealth and privilege, and they're so preoccupied with the little trivial nothings of their lives. Who's dating who? Who's throwing this ball or having this dinner party? As long as there's enough lamb for dinner, they could care less what's falling, falling apart around them. So in this book, in this version, it's literally falling apart around them. And they have this sort of, they sort of carry on writing letters to each other about their hurt feelings and loves and passions and all of these things. It's ridiculous. Uh, so I, I, again, I was, I was surprised how well the mashup worked. It didn't feel stupid. I'd agree. I feel like you could pick that up from the movie alone. Like it just, they, it's like almost like they were meant to just go together. <laughs> There's a, the book comes with a discussion guide for classrooms at the mm -hmm. end. It's like 10 questions for the book. And the last question is some scholars suggest that Austin's original manuscript did not contain zombies. Uh, could you imagine a book, uh, this book without zombies in it? If so, like what would the plot be or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's funny. Yeah. It's super funny. <laughs> Uh, well, let's get into the movie. Uh, when you, how did you first hear about the film, and what were your initial kind of uh, expectations for? Mo, you you already said that yours were very low. Uh, they were low until I think I saw the first preview, and within the first preview, they were raised slightly. I would say they went from like a three to a six, anticipation wise. Um, it just seemed like the preview, you know, that small glimpse had been done well, at least a lot better than Abraham, you know, Lincoln Vampire Slayer. Yeah. But that, that one, I think, was meant to be more campy. There wasn't really that much put into it. Um, I don't even remember. Did it go to theaters? Was it straight to DVD? No, it came out in theaters. Maybe it just didn't last long? I can't remember. Yeah. It was, uh, it was just sort of underwhelming to a lot of yeah. people. I think so. this one was a little more hyped up. But then again, maybe this is a little bit more notorious. Well, and I think that it actually, it it had the ability to get more hyped up because it had been in production for a lot longer. Plus, you got zombies, and they're still kind of hot right now. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, and, and, and this is really the first like 
period zombie piece we've done, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. there have been like indie, but as far as major theatrical releases, we haven't had zombies in the Civil War or Jesus versus zombies mm-hmm. or, you know, zombie cavemen. Like we've never mm-hmm. had that, the zombie monster set in a different. So, I mean, in that sense, even if it wasn't Pride and Prejudice, it's at least like something that's in the saturated zombie market that we haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, I had heard of the book, obviously, through UJR and the, just the the idea of it and how well it was executed <laughs> in the in the <laughs> book. But as always, as we've discussed many a times, whenever a book is being adapted into a film, my expectations, whatever they may have been, had it not been a book, are slashed in half because... As we all know, the book is always better than the movie. There are very few exceptions to that. Michael Michael Crichton is one of the few where the movies typically parallel the books in awesomeness. Yeah, or like The Hobbit that was terrible as a film, but the book was amazing. Like When you say a film, I think you mean three films. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Three horrible films. So I was honestly very, uh, when they first said they were going to do this as a movie, I was over the moon excited. Uh, and then the film kept getting plagued by production problems. Uh, uh, David O. Russell was originally attached to direct it, and Natalie Portman was going to be Elizabeth Bennett. And then Portman dropped back to be an executive producer, which she still like. She was credited in the in the in the film as an EP, but Russell dropped out, and they went through like three or four more directors before they found someone. They could not get a star attached to it. They talked to Anne Hathaway, Mia Wasikowska, Scarlett Johansson. Emma Stone, Blake Lively, like they went to all of the, you know, the kind of the hot actresses and kept getting turned down. Uh, so I, as that is as what we the, call a blessing in disguise. Yeah. How Why so? Would you say that, Mom? Because Lily James was lovely. <laughs> I I agree, uh, but I don't think any of those other actresses would have done a worse job. And I think in the hands of a stronger, more capable director, we would have had a stronger film. Yeah. Um, I agree, but not from not because the female lead wasn't uh, portrayed well. Actually, I think she did a fantastic job. So I don't, and I kind of like the fact that she was less known because sometimes in pieces like this, when it's you know an overly famous, like for instance when Cersei was there, uh, it was cool to see her as Catherine. However, all I could think was, oh my god, that's Cersei, and why is her father living in the country? Um, <laughs> and she has an eye patch, right? Yeah, is that practical? Or is it's it? functional, not, yeah. <laughs> not just for looks. So um, I didn't mind the female lead part, but I do agree. Had there been a stronger director, there was there were some serious things with the movie that I felt were sped up, or there was other issues, mm-hmm. but not with the acting. I was going to say, was I was originally excited, and then as it got closer to movie time, I got less excited because. I just, I knew it wasn't going to live up to what I wanted it to be, and it it didn't, but that's okay. And I think, like Mo said, like, there was definitely, it felt like it was just, like, barely held together. There wasn't, like, a strong director or somebody to take control of the situation and kind of lay down, like, this is what's happening. It, It felt like it was all just kind of tossed together, like, well, we're doing this and this and this and this. So When we get into spoilers, I'll spoil it. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's let's talk about some of the acting. In in any Pride and Prejudice movie, the role you have to nail is Mr. Darcy, typically, uh, because he's sort of the emotional um, 
touchstone of the film. He's the one that you've got to hate him and then fall in love with him and kind of go on that journey mm-hmm. with Elizabeth Bennett. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> so how did how did Mr. Darcy work for you guys? Oh my god, I hated him. <laughs> hated him. Why? At first, at first, I thought you know I was like, oh, like this could be him. He's like that, so like proud, Jr. He's like that brooding type. Like I could definitely see him being Mr. Darcy, and then he talked, and then that just ruined it. Like I don't get why he tried to like talk in that like Batman voice. Like just talk like a normal solemn. person. You don't need to add that extra. You don't feel like the weight of his issues dragged his voice into the gravel. I do. I mean, that's exactly how I felt, Jr. <laughs> No, I felt like he could have accomplished what he wanted to accomplish talking like a normal person. What if he has an oddly high-pitched voice by nature? That would be fine. Then he'd have to figure something else out. <laughs> I no, I agree. I I didn't hate Darcy, but I didn't. I he didn't bring anything extra to this film for me. He didn't yeah. elevate the movie. But by, by the end of it, I was like, okay, like I don't hate him as much. Like he did a good job, but I felt like they could have cast someone better i liked him as i felt with a lot of the the characters in this movie yeah particularly with darcy because the whole story is told from elizabeth's perspective you have to get darcy from looks and a lot of nonverbal stuff because that's a whole that's the whole thing is right they don't they don't hardly ever talk for the first two-thirds of the film and so you've got to get you've got to you've got to get a bunch of Darcy from the nonverbal. And I didn't feel like this guy really delivered on that. I felt like I, I just, I, I never, I never questioned whether or not he was into Elizabeth and you're, you're supposed to, you know, for the, right. again, for like the first two thirds of, uh, I guess we, when I said no spoilers, we're sort of assuming, you know, the plot of Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Super <laughs> yeah. spoiler alert. So. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. I thought that he was just really like brooding and hateful. Like he had RBF real bad and he yeah, I I wasn't super impressed. I, I although okay, never mind. I can't say it. It's a spoiler for this actual movie, not the other ones. Never mind. No, I think in that context, JR, I'll give you that. They it was pretty apparent from that first little shindig they had that he was into her. He just wasn't admitting it. Um, so I don't think they did a good job of selling the fact that, you know, he was contemptuous of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he, tri- he tried, but I wasn't, I wasn't picking up what he was putting down and mm-hmm. buying what he was selling. Now, what about Elizabeth? I, for me, I told, I, I totally bought her. I thought she did a great job. I yeah. thought she was lovely. Yeah. I think she did a phenomenal <laughs> job. I want to know who her stunt double was. Because she did an awesome job, obviously, in all of the choreography of the fight scenes, but also whoever her stunt double was did a great job as well. Like it looked, it looked awesome. See, I think she I did. I felt them like all. it was lacking the fight really? scenes. Really? Oh. I felt like they were just a little. I don't know. They could have gone like a little harder. I don't. I don't know. I just didn't think they were done very well. Stacy, they were in corsets. <laughs> That's no excuse, Jr. <laughs> no, I, and again, I honestly, I think that's where I'm talking about the direction. I think a director who is more capable of handling action um, would have given us something even a little bit more visually arresting, right? Because so that for, that opening scene, which didn't really make—I mean, their opening fight scene, which didn't really make a lot of sense because they're at a ball, they run from zombies, but then they run into the room that's filled with zombies. It was a weird transition, and then they fight in their little formation, which was cute. But 
it was odd that they went for like kind of a graphic novel uh, feel to that first fight. Like you didn't really see anything, but it was kind of you know blood was spraying on. It was the all on them, right? You you only saw them. Yeah. But with all the blood that hit the camera, never once was there blood on their swords. And that bothered. <laughs> well, Mo, this was a PG thirteen movie, so true. So why is it allowed to be on the camera? Oh, was it PG thirteen? I don't know. It was, yeah. Oh, okay. See, it's the little details like that, like that just dragged this movie down, I feel like. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I have more things that irritate me, but again, I'm gonna wait until okay. official spoilers. All right. God, I'm glad we're on My the God. same page, Amanda. Yeah. Uh one of the pleasant surprises of the film, and I had just forgotten about this character again because Pride and Prejudice or Pride and Prejudice and Zombies are not like in my top 10 books of all time or whatever, was Matt Smith as Mr. Collins. I thought he was like hilariously awkward. So, so amazing. Awkward. <laughs> he, he nailed it. He was probably one of the, he, I'd say he was maybe the second best acted role. Like if that was supposed to be his part, that whole dance scene was <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> like he's so, so oblivious funny. and yes. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought, I thought he was one of the few people that actually, they casted well and then nailed the role. Oh, God. He was congratulating the other dancers. You have a valiant effort. A valiant effort. <laughs> uh, so, Mo, who was your favorite actor if he was second? Was it uh, Lily. James. Lily James? Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I knew that. I figured it would be uh, Charles Dance. Why do you say that? Tywin Lannister himself? I, I just enjoyed his character a lot. He was a small I, but important role. <laughs> So I love the Game of Thrones uh, cast. However, I couldn't get past the Game of Thrones yeah. cast. <laughs> yeah. So you kept waiting for Tywin to order them to go kill the king in London? Yeah, I was like, this is cute. But when does he tell them to, like, stop being, you know, children and go marry right. who he tells them to? Yeah, I didn't I didn't particularly like either of them in this movie. I felt like Mo said, like, you just couldn't almost couldn't get past the Game of Thrones. But I just also don't feel like it was a, a good fit for them. So. Like, across the board, the casting for this movie did not work for me I kinda, at all. I kind of kid about Tywin. Tywin I actually liked, and I thought he did a good job. I thought he was, like, the good, caring father, and I liked that whole part where... What is spoilers. she... Uh, that that he, yeah. your mother will never... Yeah. Spoilers! Yeah, yeah. We'll get to that later. Anyways, Tywin did a good job. It's not really a yeah, it is. I'm gonna edit that out. Coming from the coming from the guy who's already said that Darcy and Elizabeth fall in love. So I guess pick and choose, Jr. Play God behind your microphone, sir. Um, but no, Cersei was a little that one I couldn't because she was still the kind of the bitch. Like so, it was like I, I'm seeing a lot of Cersei here. She's just eye patched up. Yeah. I guess I don't know enough about that character in Pride and Prejudice to know whether, I mean, it seemed like that was what that character needed. You know what I mean? I felt like she like overplayed it. Like She was more the warrior. So like mm-hmm. in a lot of the parts I saw what probably was in the original Pride and Prejudice. And I mean, I was guessing a lot, obviously, since I haven't seen uh, the movie or read the book. Uh, but with Catherine, uh, specifically, it seemed like she was only a warrior. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, that was another reason that part was kind of hard for me to buy. Everyone else, they had this dual, you know, um, position in the film. Although that painting, I would definitely like to put on my wall. Right? Oh, man. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah, I mean, she was super over the top, but I feel like that was the entire movie was super over the top. 
like, I don't know. Yeah. It didn't bother me as much, but I also really just like her as a character. I mean, her as an actress in general, like, um, yeah. She's extra talented, and I don't mean to take away from that. I just simply mean that I feel like every other character in the film where you to take away zombies still fit into that London time period. Uh, eye patch and she out. really didn't, yeah. But she was the only one they made stand out, like mm-hmm. with the eye patch and everything like that. Like, was it, I don't know, that it seemed forced in comparison to the rest. Hmm. All right, all right. Uh, and also, I, we're not going to go through every character in the film, but I, I just thought most of the supporting cast was great. You know, um, Whitaker and Bingley and all of her sisters. Like, I I enjoyed spending time with those characters when they weren't hmm. fighting zombies. Yeah, even when they're kind of sparring in the basement and all of them are kind of jumping in and taking their turns, I thought it was well played. Yeah, no, I think all of the sisters were well cast. But Bingley, Wickham, and Darcy, <laughs> I did not like. Mind, mind you, she's not taking anything from the other movies she watched. No, you know what's about. interesting about that, Stacy, is that I, I wonder if you know. Typically, when you make a Pride and Prejudice movie, you're making it for women, and so the men are the characters that you give the most attention to. But mm-hmm. my assumption is that whoever was in charge of this film was making it for that, like, you know, eighteen to twenty-five year old male demographic, and so then mm-hmm. again, who's going to get most of the emphasis, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's a, that's an interesting observation. I will say, I mean, I, w- I was okay with Wickham. He definitely gave that, like, skeezy, slime ball like, era. Like, I could definitely pick up on that. Like, I, was, I just didn't, I don't know, something about the actor I didn't like. Uh, huh. were, were you supposed to? I mean, yeah, you were supposed yeah. to like him and then realize he was a douche. I would be, like, like enchanted him. by him and then yeah. realize so he pulled the I still think you were projecting on this because I did think he was a nice gentleman at the beginning when he first met her on the streets and you Darcy was being his normal crowd. It's Sleepy so. Hollow. He reminds me of the huntsman. At the very end when you see his sharp teeth and he's like hunting everybody down on the horse, that's what I got from him. Yeah, you were definitely doing some projecting. So yeah, it's interesting because I'm with Mo. Like when she fir- when he first interacts with Elizabeth, I thought, wow, emotionally where I am in the movie right now, I'm really into this guy. Like I like him. I think he's yeah. a nice dude. I'm going to go ahead and assume that he's bad because, <laughs> because I know that she's with Mr. Darcy forever. Uh, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, I, I, yeah, I think I disagree too. I think he worked for me, and I think um, while I was not surprised by his reversal, um, yeah, I, no, I thought it was well executed. All right, overall grade, B minus. Ooh, I was gonna go with like a C. I mean, a B minus is really close. To B a minus C. is where I walked out, and I haven't changed. If anything, I'd slide it down to a C plus. Yeah. 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 I'd give it's it a C mm-hmm. So would you recommend this film? Yeah, I mean it was fun. I, I for what it for what it was, I, I don't think it was bad. I don't think it's necessarily something you have to go rush to see in theaters, um, unless you're just an avid fan of, you know, nineteenth century London and zombies and beautiful women. See, but I'm a fan of those and it didn't work for me. Yeah, but you're projecting. We've discussed this. <laughs> But that's an important observation. If you love Pride and Prejudice and those characters are dear to you, this may not be the movie for you. And by characters, we mean the people casted previously. No, I just don't feel like they... Did as well as the people casted in the last movie. No, I just feel like they didn't 
fit. They were they weren't bad. They just didn't quite fit like it. Like it right. that's what, yeah, that's what I was saying too. Like if you have an idea about who Mr. Darcy is, this Darcy is probably not going to live up to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same with any book. You always have an expectation or a picture in your head of who you think this character is going to be. And then nine times out of 10, it's not that way in the movie. But in the other movie it was? Yeah, dude. They did a great job in the other movie casting everybody. So maybe you're comparing it to that? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Oh, my. So I would say I would say I would recommend this film provisionally. If you love zombie movies, you should probably go see this because it's a zombie movie that is unique enough because it's a period zombie film that it, you won't have seen things like it. And the zombie effects were pretty great. Um, we'll, we'll talk in spoilers a little bit more about why that's so provisionally recommended for me because of some of the ways these zombies behave. Um, but overall, like, I don't know, I don't think you'll hate it if you can go catch a cheap matinee or something like that. Um, yeah, it'd be a good afternoon flick. Yeah. Yeah, If you have nothing else to watch, maybe. I would watch this over the walking dead, for instance. I would too. So... Ooh, that's hard. That's a hard decision. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I probably would too. I don't I, know. You just you're not going to see any, anything else like this. Just like the book. Like if you've never yeah. read the book, *Pride and Prejudice and Zombies*, you should read it. It's hilarious and fun and weird and awesome. Uh, yeah. The books, the, the movie's not nearly as good, but it's still you're not going to see another movie like this this year. So that's that's probably worth something for some people. It's a yeah. Bold statement, Jr. I mean, you definitely won't. It's definitely it's one-of-a-kind, I feel like, movie. You're probably not going to get another period timepiece with zombies in it, probably ever. I cannot wait till something C to D list <laughs> proves you both wrong. <laughs> um, so I would I mean, recommend we're not... it if you take it as what it is. But Yeah, Mo, we're not counting the porn parodies. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're going to put us in a box. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into spoilers for Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, starting <laughs> right now. Don't split up. Thank you. Yeah, about that. Now, are we all allowed to do spoilers, JR, or just you? <laughs> all of us are. Now. Okay. I just wanted to clarify on the rules for this segment of the podcast. Oh, man. We're spoiling Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, not just Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, but Pride okay. and Prejudice, in the actual Pride and Prejudice, the dad know, says the line. Are, does he? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he okay. does. He says, either you can't speak to your mother or you can't speak to me. That's a great line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? You follow JR's rules, Amanda. Don't you back talk. I'm not, I'm not following his rules. <laughs> I'm just pointing out the hypocrisy. Anyway, so I appreciated their idea behind having semi-civilized zombies, like talk, being able to talk and being able to function. Um, but I think it fell apart as I believe you're going to mention JR in the plot in St. Lazarus is my <laughs> suspicion. Well, the, I was very irritated about, well, the reason this movie was C plus B minus to me is they provided a lot. They could have done a lot. They executed very little. Um, it, I can't remember what the film was. We Oh, the Christmas movie that we just watched. Krampus? Uh, Krampus. It was kind of a similar thing to that, in my opinion, where they were trying to pull off too many things at once. They didn't really focus or choose. And therefore, you kind of got this blend and nothing really sold itself. So 
to me, I, I walked into this film not really knowing what Pride and Prejudice was truly about outside of, I mean, a love story, but I thought a large part of it was about the social inequality of the upper class and the lower class. And so I thought the zombies were there to represent the lower class and the issues they were presenting for the aristocracy and the fact that they were just unwilling to yield to them. Uh, so, and I thought there was a great outside potential for that in this film, and that's the way they kind of set it up. Uh, and then it really just didn't pay off, and I, I didn't feel like they really pursued that. I felt like they focused so much on the love story and the reportrayal of, you know, Elizabeth Bennet and Mr. Darcy that the zombies almost started to become background noise. They were really just part of the setting as mm -hmm. opposed to the plot. And well, yeah, and that, that's what frustrated me as well because I think in the original Pride and Prejudice, Elizabeth Bennet is the quote-unquote lower class that is – and so because she's part of that group, she's able to be part of the critique as well, right? When you see that love transcends class or whatever, yeah. mm -hmm. you know. In this film, however, you still had that with the zombies. The zombies are clearly meant to represent non-aristocracy because what happens, right? They take over the city first. And so the only place for all of these wealthy aristocrats to live in relative safely is out in the country. But they even say like, this is inevitable. Like the zombies are going to win for every, you know, every one of us, there's 10 of them, whatever. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's a classical allegory for like the rise of the middle class and yeah. the, you know, the, the loss of the aristocracy mm -hmm. and all of that. But Elizabeth Bennett was like, if she had been a zombie and this is like a Romeo and Juliet situation, the critique would have worked better. Mm -hmm. um, but because Ooh. you know like what I'm saying? Bodies. JR, I think you just came up with the great follow-up for 2016, mm -hmm. Romeo, Juliet and zombies. and zombies. And what if Juliet gets bit? And then Romeo mm -hmm. kills himself only to find out that Juliet was one of the smart zombies. And then she kills herself or becomes a bad zombie I mean, by we eating could, Romeo's brains. We Ooh. could we could just watch Warm Bodies. True. <laughs> or that. Which is Romeo and Juliet, and it's awesome. Yeah, but they didn't die. <laughs> so that, you know, you see what I'm saying with like, because in the original book, Elizabeth is the critiquing person and then in in the film they like move it over and now there's like there's you still have that like class critique going on between the two of them but that gets sort of muted and then they bring in zombies and it's like so it's like there's two different things going on yeah and so the instead of it being this great mashup where everything lines up it it ends up being like these two different critiques happening at the same time and they sort of they sort of uh reverberate against each other and yeah. uh and I think end up getting noisy. Like, did you, you feel that tension in the book as well, though? No, that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, the the whole like zombies are the lower class. There's no like thinking zombies. The Church of Saint Lazarus, like, none of that is in the book. It's oh, purely, really? yeah, right. So it's just a way more streamlined, seamless uh, critique, and it's, <laughs> that's I think that's why the book works so much better. Yeah, I agree because in the film, so what, what was his name? Whitcomb. Wickham. Wickham. He, I thought he was a great character in the film. And I just think they kind of killed where they were going with it. So they had set up the fact that he was this jaded. Uh, he wasn't really the brother of Mr. Darcy, but had been raised as the brother. Um, he kind of squandered his money. And so he was really just after the money. And he was this jaded, you know, idiot who was trying to blame the upper class for his problems. And that set up for a great, you know, reason for him to switch and be a part of this lower class revolt and kind of let them in to the aristocracy. There was this whole subplot that could have developed there um, that could have been the back, the true background to their love story. And it 
it, it could have even set them up at odds. Or I mean, I don't know. There was so much there, and I was so disappointed in the fact that it just became this brotherly spat, and like mm -hmm. they didn't they didn't focus on any of that stuff that they had set up. I mean, slightly, but not in depth. Mm -hmm. It just so once I realized all that was going on and that none of it was really going to be important, it, the movie just kind of lost its flair for me. Yeah, I definitely agree. You think all of this is, I don't know, they, like you said, they set it up that so much was going to happen. There's so much, so many layers to this, and then they just let it all unravel. And that's where, you know, again, either a more competent director or potentially, like you suggested, Mo, maybe a mini series instead of a film where they have more time for these things to breathe. Uh, I was also super unclear about the geography of everything. That's another thing that didn't work for me. Like mm -hmm. when they show them writing and the lines are going on the map, I'm like, I don't, but I don't know where they're leaving from and going to. No, that and, was unnecessary. Plus, based on the size of that map, like, okay, so you're saying your entire expanse <laughs> of, like, safety is just an afternoon's hour ride away? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work for me either. It, it's like, oh, I just had a thought, but I lost it. No. You guys, the coolest part was that it was actually blood dripping. That's what they wanted to show. On the map? Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I didn't get that. Oh. I didn't either. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, they, they did that whole thing at the beginning with the wall and the in-between and all that kind of stuff. But I guess I, I thought I was clear about who lives where and why what's important and all of that. And then when everything at the end started to change and the zombies took over London, I was like, I thought London already fell. I guess I don't know what's inside. going on. Yeah, like what? What? Okay. Uh, all right. I felt like at certain at different points in this movie, it was moving too fast or moving too slow. Yeah, you I agree. Either too much or not enough. And it, it they, was. They needed to kind of find a middle of that. Yeah. To Stacy's point, I felt like a lot of it was tell and not show, which is odd for a movie. Um, and so we would we would get through all this stuff and then all of a sudden they would just catch us up verbally. Yep. Any, anytime a movie has narration in it, I start to get cringy because it's like, we couldn't figure out a, an easy way to visually deliver all this information. Right. So we're just going to tell you a bunch of stuff. But on that note, the physical sparring between Darcy and Elizabeth was awesome because in, yeah. in the yeah, actual, awesome. in the actual novel, you know, they're, they're both very quick witted and very, you know, quick with their, um, words and I was just like, oh gosh, they're beating the crap out of each other. This is amazing. Like that it was, was a great really scene. Well yeah. and they did a good job of building the sexual mm -hmm. tension in that scene. Everything. I mean, I thought that was well played. Yeah, I think their interactions were good at every point. I was gonna say, I was just about to say, as much as I didn't like him, I definitely liked the two of them together. I felt like they played off each other well. They fed into each other. You got kind of the relationship through them. I right. do agree with Jr. I don't think. He did a good job of hiding his affection for her. You right. Know what I mean, See, it wasn't a mystery, but um, I did. Yeah, I thought they interacted well. Yeah. Much better than her and Mr. Collins. <laughs> <laughs> Who was? I think oh maybe God. I'm gonna just go ahead and put my best out there right now. And it was most certainly when she's dropping all the guns in the woods, and Mr. Collins <laughs> rushes back to help her. And he's like, oh, my goodness. And he, like, picks up all of her guns and puts them back in her arms. And he's like, see, Gallantry isn't dead. And then turns and walks away. <laughs> that was definitely one of the best scenes. Mm -hmm. I would say I'll continue with the best. He probably 
the ball where he was dancing light on his feet. I mean, Mr. Collins just killed it in this movie for me. So almost any part where he's in it, or would you like some scones? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like he, he was probably my favorite part of this movie. I really, and even though it was super cheesy when Jane got really sick and Elizabeth comes to her rescue and then Mr. Darcy comes in and he lets the flies loose, how like random it was that she just went and kept grabbing them really quickly and then crushed them and put them in his hand. I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah, exactly. I just thought that was a good scene. So ridiculous, but super funny. I don't know. I, I can't say that that was my, maybe best but it was it was definitely enjoyable it's like oh my gosh this is hilarious no their their private little conversations in public spaces were great you know mm-hmm. the whole you know it was never in question and earlier when she's giving him a hard time for saying she wasn't beautiful or whatever mm-hmm. they were i do think they played well together i think my favorite scene was that fight scene we alluded to already between elizabeth and mr darcy mm-hmm. uh, just because again it's so clever to turn the verbal sparring into actual sword play, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and it was, a, it was a well choreographed fight scene. I thought it, it was done well. And it's just in general, the whole idea of like fighting in corsets and gowns, it was, it's, it's silly and fun. Mm-hmm. And like, the, you know, she went and trained with the Shaolin monks in China instead of in Japan. And so mm-hmm. she's low, you know. And that was but, such a good burn on Mr. Darcy when she's like, <laughs> oh, you haven't read it in its original Wu dialect? You haven't read it, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was awesome. I was going to say one thing that really annoyed me, which was a spoiler from earlier, was I know that from Pride and Prejudice, Prejudice, the book, Jane has to get sick and caught in the rain and go and hang out with Mr. Bingsley and his estate or whatever. But I was so irritated that that's how it happened. Like when you, you just, you go from this scene where all five sisters are super hardcore and they're, you know, fight. And I know strength in numbers, whatever, but like how they're, you know, sword, their sword fighting is amazing and they have their guns and they know how to clean them and all that kind of stuff. And then you get her by herself. She's the eldest, you know, in theory, she's the most mature and beautiful and smart and whatever. And you put her up against one zombie, which again, I get it with the female, like her seeing the baby, maybe that caught her off guard. But I just thought that was like, it didn't do justice to her, like the strength of her character. To, to be fair, she, her pistol had backfired into her hand, so she was wounded. She'd fallen off of her horse. She, We figure she killed all those zombies and then still made it to that estate on foot in the pouring rain. Yeah, that's how I read it. She didn't get bit. She got sick because she was. Well, out of I the know. Weather. I just. Well, yeah. I don't know. So I I think she's still one tough cookie to navigate on foot in a thunderstorm. I wish they would have showed a little more of it. Yeah, because to Not me, it just me. made her seem weak. Yeah, and like, like kind of a wuss. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Man, you women are tough critics on other women. <laughs> yeah. I was impressed by her abilities. Okay. I was as well. I I mean I yeah I didn't read it as though she was overcome by zombies i read it as though like all that happened and still you know she managed to make it there on her own on foot they didn't send out a search party for her or anything you know i mean she like the implication was she got there Mm -hmm. so uh what was your worst i would say the end where they set it up for a sequel that i hope doesn't happen agreed i don't want another one I'm actually all right with the sequel because at least then we can just get past 
uh, it'll just it'll be a focused movie. They're in love, so maybe they'll maybe they'll come through with the sequel because it'll just be a zombie piece set in London. Maybe. And I liked uh, what's his name's arm weapon. Wickham, yeah. A direct <laughs> ripoff of something I can't remember. Yeah, right. classic horror film <laughs> fail. You always double tap the monster. <laughs> <laughs> or in this case, slice his head off. Double stab. Yeah. My worst was easily the mind-controlled zombies. Like that if humans don't eat, that whole mythology was so like, like you said, Mo, told. Like yeah. just, and then, and then, and then, so first of all, if you say until a human who's been bitten actually eats human brains, they're not fully turned. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. But then as soon as you say, and they can mind control other zombies, I'm like, I'm out. Like, that's stupid. <laughs> um, now, you know, Amanda and I were arguing about this after the film. If you introduce, like, reintroduce, like, the voodoo elements of it, maybe. Like, if you give me some reasoning for that, I'm open to letting you convince me. But if you're just like, oh, yeah, also, and this. I think it was just another part of zombie lore that they added into it. Uh, but it, it didn't bother me as much as it bothered you, obviously. I was irritated. You're so super irritated. offended by it. It's like JR said. I don't... I wasn't as offended as JR is, but I didn't feel like they gave me a reason to believe it. Aside well, but from the entire it the, is. the entire end of the film hinges on that thing that they just added in. That well, that's what I'm saying. Like it, I don't. There's a lot of things in this film that I feel like they just put in there and then they told you about. Whereas you had no buy-in, you hadn't seen it work before, you didn't get a flat. There was just nothing there. There was no illusion to it. Like the the things they did well were in. Um, all in conjunction with the love story. Like the girls fighting in the basement because you know that's where uh, Elizabeth's gonna fight later. Well, it ended up being Cersei's lackey, but you know, to protect her love. And then uh, the choreographed fight scene with Darcy, like all that stuff was well played and foreshadowed, but all the zombie stuff, they're like, oh, just because, because we have zombies. So that should be a thing. Well, yeah, and and for me, for me, I guess the whole, like if you're gonna have an army of zombies that's controlled by someone, you need to do a better job of explaining why that's happening mm -hmm. beyond just like, oh, yeah, by the way, BT dubs, these zombies it, are mind controllable. Exactly. Is it because he's also undead and so they don't feel the need to feed on him? Um, and Even though they sort of did. Yeah. Maybe it's a loose mind control. So that was the, he, I think, I think it all generally direct them. It was all encapsulated for me in the fact that he comes back completely alive after. Uh, Mr. Darcy gets him in the cellar by feeding all of the zombies in the church real brains. And yeah. then they all attack Mr. Wickham. And you're like, well, that's the end of Wickham. And then he comes back totally fine. He's like, I was bitten all along. It's like, well, then why didn't you just mind control him in the cellar? I don't understand. Mm -hmm. like, right. None of that made any sense except like to be a big reveal. Like it didn't make sense inside of the movie in any way. Well, and it's um, also my sister saw the film with us. And um, like her big one of her pet peeves was the four horsemen. Which, I mean, Stacey pointed out, and I, it's probably fairly accurate, they were there to just kind of insinuate that just like the what Mr. Collins alluded to at the table with Cersei is that the only time that, what do you say, the only time the undead would be there is when the Antichrist, uh, when the Antichrist them. Uh, controls them. And so the four horsemen were kind of like paved the way for the fact that Wickham was supposed to be the Antichrist or whatever, and he was going to lead the undead. But it, it was all still a little forced again. And then the un, the four horsemen like just kind of popped up. Mm -hmm. um, like she saw them out in the woods that one time. 
and again, you know, Wickham was right behind. And then Darcy sees him before he goes into St. Lazarus, and then Wickham's there, of course, again. But that that was it. Like there mm-hmm. was no there was no raids that were being done, and people reporting having seen the four horsemen or like any like they just didn't use it anywhere else. So it was just again something forced and kind of pointless outside of these you know talked out areas. Kind of along with that, I was going to say my worst is probably Wickham, where he. The, the whole scene at like St. Lazarus where you think he's going to die and then, oh, just kidding. He was bit the whole time. What I was frustrated with is when they're in the church and throughout the other movie, when someone gets bit, they obviously start to like decay Decompose. and die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why, why was Wickham perfectly fine? Like, you know, he was supposedly bit this whole time, but you don't see him decaying or going down the steps the way the other zombies were. The, the film tells us that's because he never eats human flesh. Well, well, and no one else that had been in the church, church had been eating yeah. human flesh. And those girls, their faces were half fallen off. You know, they, they were joking, like sticking their tongue out, but still. He actually tells us verbally it was because of his hatred for Darcy yep. that he's able to make it that far. It's purely hatred that saves your good looks. Yep. So oh, if you want to look good, hate somebody. I just remembered what the worst part was. The snot bubble at the beginning oh. was, so was so gross good. oh that was awesome was so weird and gross and blah. Oh. I like, so i thought their zombies were awesome i mm-hmm. think in the zombies that we're getting into on television and everything i think they went with more of like a classic zombie eroded face like just that whole like kind of this is what you would look like if you'd started to decompose mm-hmm. you know what i mean i thought their zombies were super cool how many decomposed bodies have you seen, Mo? I, I've been around many. Okay. I'm a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a doctor. <laughs> yeah. I okay. I I think that our fa- our faces would start to decompose if we had been bitten in our faces, but I don't know that it would be to that extreme. But that's okay. I mean, I thought it looked awesome. So I meant like natural decomposition. Okay. Like I said, I haven't seen very many actual decomposed bodies, just what Hollywood has told us it would look like. But Exactly. Doesn't that count as science? <laughs> <laughs> it's not science. Um, okay, and then one other thing going along with that, the fight scene between Wickham and Darcy. Like, So were they apparently like fighting all night? throughout the night and neither yep. one you know like and then all of a sudden elizabeth comes up like and it's just over and then in the distance that it took the little sister like however like half a day to ride they ride in, in a matter of like 30 minutes and they, they really make just, it across the bridge they never explained you know time. like that oh my god that because like we made said me earlier, so mad wickham got her to that church and back in like an hour and a half yeah. so we assume no it was longer than that because I remember thinking the first time he went with her, I was like, wow, they're going really far for, like, not be wanting to be out at night. But really, because I don't remember them returning. I guess they never really address it. But right. you would think, the based on standards, like was... her being an eligible lady. Right, right. Like, they wouldn't be out all night. Yeah. I think the other, the other thing that really irritated me about the whole Wickham thing was I didn't need him to be the Antichrist. Like, he was a bad dude. You know, when when Darcy tells us his backstory, I was like, okay, like that's that's more than sufficient reason for me to root for Darcy and not for him. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't need him to be the prophesied Antichrist leading the hordes of the undead against 
you know, I was like, I, I just, that whole part of it just did. And again, it goes back to the deeper social critique. Like they, they blurred what they were trying to do with their critique. And so it, it the whole thing just ended up feeling extra and, and unnecessary. And in a film that needed space for other parts of it to breathe, cramming all of that in really hurt it. Yeah. They, it seems like they, they had like so many things they wanted to put in the movie and they would just pick and choose where it would work and where it wouldn't work. Like, oh, this part's not going to work here, so we're just going to throw it in the movie later on. But we'll use this part because it fits here, but it won't fit later on. Yeah, you know, they were just kind of patchworking things together. Well, and you don't need you don't need me to be amazed by this like threat to the to the whole earth in this particular film because I'm watching a movie called Pride of Prejudice and Zombies. Like the, the part that's amazing is that you're doing period zombie. Yeah. Right. So like, just let that be the crazy part of the movie and then just tell me a good story. Well, and it goes back to like, so what's his role? Is he, is he the antichrist? Is he here to end humanity or is he kind of wrongly siding with the, this lower class and, you know, fighting for them, but not for the right reasons. Like what is his role here? And they kind of introduced him at different levels and it just, it didn't mesh. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. All right. We are about out of time. Uh, we need to want to know what you thought of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. You can let us know at don'tsplitup.com or facebook.com slash don'tsplitup. Next time we are going to be reviewing The Witch, which is apparently the scariest horror film in decades. I'm literally uh, buying a puppy just so I can go see that. <laughs> be able to come home and sleep in my house. I'm so scared already. I'm, I'm super curious to see if they have a bunch of jump scares because that was one more thing I was going to say before we started wrapping up is that I don't feel like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies did a lot of cheap scares for us, which is something we should give credit where it's due yeah. because we know that that's kind of an annoying thing. Well, it's at least annoying to JR. Um <laughs> You know, but I, I did appreciate that. But yeah, I'm I'm very curious. I'm kind of keeping the bar low, guys. Like I'm going into the witch thinking it's not going to be that scary, so that I'll be extra scared. It Agreed. looks like it's going to be pretty terrifying. I'm easily scared by this type of stuff, but well, I think well, getting it confused with Mary, my sister tagged Mo and I in this story about I think it's in South Carolina about how. <clears throat> basically these boy boy scouts go camping and they didn't realize where they were at and they crossed a property line onto this witch's house and she like pretty much killed them whatnot i keep getting that story so confused with this witch preview mm -hmm. that i don't even know what i'm seeing anymore I just well it's a period piece scary. right it's supposed to be like puritan new england puritan, it looks yeah. like mm -hmm. Well, if you're if you're watching along with us, they moved the release date of The Witch up a week, so it comes out, I believe, on February nineteenth. So make sure that you check your calendars for that. We will be back then with another episode. Until then, thank you for listening. Thank you for engaging with us. And until next time, whatever you do, don't split up. Join Jr. Stacy, Amanda, and Mo to discuss blood, guts, horror, and gore in our podcast. Don't split up, where we discuss horror movies and how or not they are because as you know in every horror movie the first rule of survival is never leave your friends so don't split up if you want to make it to the end no don't don't split up well, this place is huge no one take the back porch scream if you see anything that won't be hard but in observation of this loaded moment I am not in favor of splitting up, nor am I three days from retiring.
I will not be right back. <laughs>